that we may find the inspiration that we need and that in these words to come, we might hear your word. In your holy name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So you all know the Pentecost story, right? It's the ultimate preacher's passage. The disciples are gathered there in Jerusalem some 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. They're gathered in Jerusalem in a place with open doors and open windows. And as they're there, the Holy Spirit Like the rush of a mighty wind comes in and rests on every one of the disciples and miraculously they begin to speak in all sorts of different foreign languages. Jerusalem was indeed a cosmopolitan town and people would come to town from all over the world and they heard these disciples speaking in languages that they understood. And after it was done, the apostle Peter, the leader of them, got up And began to preach. And we're talking old school preaching. Preaching that would put Joel Osteen or Ed Young or anyone else you might see on TV to shame. Peter gets up and delivers the prototypical sermon. And when he's done, when he's finished it, when he's fired everyone up. According to the text, some 3,000 people joined the church on that day. This is the first mega church. It was on day one of the church. It's easy, right? Well, maybe not. (laughs) But there's a lot to be said on it. Last week, for those of you who were here, I was on vacation. (laughs) For those of you who were here, uh, you heard uh, Reverend Peter Bauer talk about church decline. Talk about some of the struggles that mainline churches have had over the last 30, 40 years, as many of them have seen uh, membership dwindle. And you see this trend across the country and across different mainline denominations. One of the things that he urged us to be was to be a missional church, a church that is out engaged and enmeshed in the community. But there's a lot more that could be said on this. One thing that jumps to mind uh, is some research that was done in the 1980s at the Alban Institute, which is the leading institute for Uh, church research in the United States. And what they came up with, what they focused on, uh, these particular writers, was on the life cycle of churches. You see, in the 1970s, the big thing about church decline or not was the nature of strong versus weak churches. The idea was that if a church required strong commitments, strong commitments of belief, strong commitments of tithing, strong commitments other ways, that these strong churches were the ones that were thriving, that the churches that didn't constantly preach about hell, fire, and brimstone, those were the churches that were the weak churches that were shrinking. Therefore, if you want to grow your church, be conservative in your theology. So this was the argument that was going on in the 1970s. And the Alban Institute comes up with this interesting stuff about church life cycles, and what they point out is, actually, a bigger, a bigger factor in church growth, growth and decline is the place where a church is in its life cycle. There's the birth moment of a church, where you have a founding leader, a founding minister, uh, plus a group of 
very highly motivated people. You, and then that falls generally by a rapid growth stage. Then there's a plateau stage that can last for any number of periods of time. And then there's a decline, which can happen suddenly and surprisingly. And a church can begin a decline. And then if, if things are not changed, then there's the eventual death of a church. They looked at the Southern Baptist Convention between 1981 and 1986. A very conservative denomination here. The denomination that across these different churches they looked at held the same theology. Of the churches that were 60 years old or older, only 10% grew in the period from 1981 to 1986. Of the churches that were 15 years or younger, over 70% grew during that same time period. Church life cycle makes a difference as much as anything else. What is it in that early stage of a church that makes the difference? What is it? I'll let you wrestle with that for a bit. Let it just sink in. See, there's another thing about this passage in Pentecost. I was saying it's a preacher's passage because, again, the star is the preacher, Peter. And then everyone joins the church. There's a little danger in this, though. It's a danger that I can say every once in a while, good time for personal confession. It's a danger that I know very well. When I went out to Ames, Iowa, uh, back in 2011, to serve the church in Ames, Iowa, I was all fired up to grow the church to be as big as I could. And as I went along, I understood that, you know, churches go about at the pace they go about at. Volunteers are busy. People have busy schedules. And so when I saw something wasn't getting done to the speed or efficiency that I thought it should be, I just stepped in and did it myself. I attended every board meeting, every committee meeting. Uh, Over time, my voice tended to dominate these committee meetings and board meetings. And so we're talking whether it be stewardship or whether it be building issues, or whether it was evangelism issues, or updating the website, or updating other materials, or whether it be any kind of worship things, whether it be starting a new uh, capital campaign, uh, whether it be mission activity, whether it be justice stuff, uh, involvement in the community, whatever it was, inevitably, I was the one that stepped up and did it. Now, there were a lot of good things and exciting things that happened in the church, Actually, there were a lot of really, really positive things. <laughs> but one of the things that happened was I burnt myself out something right special. That was tough to go through. If you've ever gone through personal burnout, you know what I'm talking about. And something else happened. After I left, um, while people, I think, really appreciated my ministry there, were sorry to see me go, they looked around and they realized that some of the lay leadership had atrophied because I had been doing too many things. It was an interesting lesson for me. And this is why when I look at the Pentecost passage, I I can't help but look at it a little bit differently. I can't help but try and look at it in a slightly different lens. Yes, the Holy Spirit descended on Peter and the other disciples. But something else happened. The people that were in that crowd 
the Holy Spirit descended on them too. It's a detail that seems to be missing in the passage. Somewhere in the crowd, say there was a carpenter. Someone who was uh, frustrated with the political situation of the day. Frustrated with the lack of justice in society. Frustrated to see that those who were poor were not being well served. Frustrated with the corruption of those in power. Frustrated with a dictatorial uh, emperor, emperor and governor doing things that this carpenter really drove him nuts. And so he was hearing people talk about revolution, other things that you could do, and yet he was there in the crowd with Peter. And he heard Peter get up and say that God made Jesus Lord and Messiah. That maybe your way of looking at things is all wrong. Maybe God, <clears throat> maybe God actually is present. Maybe God actually is in control. And that sort of clicked something for this carpenter, and he thought, maybe if I'm just a faithful person, if I go about and do my bit day in and day out in small bits, then in God's time, something will change. Something we see today all the time in social justice stuff. People uh, try and start something new, and they run, and they burn themselves out. The one thing about people of faith is hopefully you can have a a long uh, spectrum of time saying this is about a long thing, and again, that there is true power in weakness, as Jesus showed. That the power of love and justice are actually stronger, but you have to feel it, you have to believe it. That carpenter believed it, stepped forward, joined the church. And you know what else? A few weeks later, they they needed a communion table. He's like, hey, I can do that. I can pitch in. Then you've got someone who's a widow there in the crowd. Someone who lost a spouse and was grieving. Someone who was trying to struggle through that grief, trying to make sense of it. And the preacher reminded her of Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I say that I go and prepare a place for you? For where I go, you will be also. And this woman heard those words and realized that the soul of her husband, her departed husband, was resting with God, and that gave her a peace. And also gave her a sense of peace, knowing that someday she would be there too. And the Holy Spirit moved within her. And she wanted to follow this guy, Jesus. And then a few weeks later, something came up and... uh, Someone was in need of a letter that she was able to write for that person. Or maybe she cut some flowers from her garden to make the meeting house where they, get, where they gathered more beautiful. And there was someone else in the crowd, a farmer. Someone who was constantly weighed down by the cares of the world. Someone who had to worry about his crops, had to worry about you know, bugs trying to get that, had to worry about weather patterns, had to worry about the large family that he was supposed to take care of. Everywhere he turned, there was one thing after another after another. Everything was stressing him out, and he sat there in the crowd, and he also heard some of Jesus' words. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and her righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And for the first time, that farmer felt a sense of peace, a sense of the spirit falling upon him, and he realized that he actually could make it through the various things that were coming at him. And then when the time came, he was able to bring some food that he had grown to some of the people in the church and serve them when they needed it. For Pentecost Sunday, the text that I like more than the Acts 2 passage is the one that Herman read not long ago, the passage from 1 Corinthians 12. Because unlike the Acts passage in 1 Corinthians 12, the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit moving in each and every believer in the church. And saying to each and every believer, whatever gifts God has given you, those gifts are sufficient. And those gifts are gifts that can be used for building up the church and spreading the good news. And the good news comes in different shapes and different sizes for different people. Our different ministries are different depending on the gifts that God has given us. But all of those gifts are necessary for the strength and vitality of the church. It's not about the preacher and some miraculous sermon that brings in 3,000 people. It's about the Holy Spirit moving through the body of Christ and motivating us all to work together. The Holy Spirit can be a helpful, clarifying fire. The Holy Spirit can come down and tell us what is important in our lives and what we actually need to focus on. When we close our eyes and pray and think about God, we can figure out where our priorities should lie. And for Christians, the basic central point is, are we able to be good disciples of Jesus and follow the words that he says? It's not an easy task, but that's the calling of what it means to be Christians. That's where the Holy Spirit is nudging us to try and do. In the life cycle of a church, one of the things the Alban Institute says is that as churches grow on, churches begin to focus on all number of things. They begin to dwell excessively about uh, one argument here or one argument there, about uh, the way s- certain things are decorated in a church or the, uh, the way the, a new church building project or this, that, and the other thing. All of a sudden, people become focused on things that are not essential to the church. When you look at an early stage in church, in a church's development, there is that focus, that focus on what matters, that focus on the mission, that focus on the core mission, the mission that the Holy Spirit sets within us, and that is the mission to follow Jesus. And if we each can think about doing that, if we each can feel that Holy Spirit working within us and leading us to do that, then the church will be on fire. The church will be alive. The church will be vital. Because in the end, that is what it's about.